0: If you would turn in your Bibles to the book of Exodus, we're going to be looking this evening in Exodus chapter 20, as we have been in this section of the book of Exodus with the Ten Commandments. Our texts have been short, but they are filled with blessing from God. This evening we will be looking at verse 7, which contains the third commandment. And so if you would please give attention to the reading of God's holy word. For the word of the Lord is completely sufficient. The word of the Lord is completely authoritative. And the word of the Lord is completely without error. Exodus chapter 20, verse 7. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. For the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Thus far the reading. God's holy word. Let's pray for his blessing upon it. Lord, we ask this evening that you would teach us to measure our words, that our tongue would be used to praise you, O Lord, not to curse men, not to speak ill, but rather to give you all the glory. This we ask in Christ's precious name. Amen. We come this evening to the third commandment, the commandment that deals with not taking the name of the Lord your God in vain. And I think we need to understand this commandment. Often, I think we give it an abbreviated or a truncated scope. And so, to help us to understand what it means to not break the third commandment, I thought I would begin by giving you examples of violating the commandment. Now, I see that there's not any very young children here, so I'm on safer ground if I attempt to show you what breaking the third commandment sounds like. It sounds like this. That sure was lucky. I'll pray for you. And then we don't well, I've got time enough for God later when things have worked out in my life. That may not have been what you expected. You may have been thankful that I didn't use four-letter words. But it seems to me that one of the problems that we have as Christians is that we are not as offended by the four-letter word luck as we are by other four-letter words. The third commandment is about what we say and how we view the Lord. And if you think about it, this commandment also shows us the majesty of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because which one of us has not broken this commandment each and every day? In terms of the words that we say or say in our head and do not give utterance to. Or, and especially if it has the scope, as I've intimated, beyond vile words. And yet our Lord Jesus Christ never broke this commandment with every single word he spoke or thought. Let that sink in. Not once, ever. It's one thing that I think is so helpful in studying the Ten Commandments. It shows to us how great our Savior is. So this evening, I would like us, to explore this commandment in three ways. The first thing I would like us to see is that this is a commandment for the mouth. That's what we expect. It's about what we speak and how we say things. The second thing is that it is a commandment for life. It's not just about our words, but it's about our attitude and the way that we live. And then finally... God shows us the purpose of this commandment. A commandment for the mouth, a commandment for life, and the purpose of the command. This is indeed a commandment for the mouth. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Now what does this mean? I think the first thing that we need to understand is that this prohibits idle talk and by that i mean speaking lightly of god or of the things of god it is offensive to the lord and a violation of this commandment to speak of things like the big guy upstairs it denigrates who god is we also are not to denigrate the bible any time that we were to say that the bible is just a book we're violating this commandment any time we Fail to give reverence to the sacraments. We act as if they are just rituals. They're things to go through. We are violating this commandment because we are not to idly speak either of the Lord or of the things that he has given to us. Now, to give you an idea of how serious this commandment was to the Jews when it was first given to them. When you think about your Old Testament Bibles where the word Lord appears in capitals, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, that is what is called the tetragrammon. And what that means is there are four consonants, and in the Hebrew language, they don't have vowels. And believe me, when you're a seminary student, you understand how difficult that makes things. There's just consonants, and there are various pointings or dots that tell you what the vowels are. And so, what we believe that name of God is, is pronounced something like Yahweh. We're not certain because the Jews don't pronounce it for fear of breaking this commandment. As a matter of fact, as they read in the Hebrew, in the text, where they come to the word Yahweh, they actually say the word Adonai, which is a different word for Lord than the name of God. It's how you would call David Lord, for example. They are afraid to even speak the name of God for fear of breaking this commandment. And they do this to this day. If you have ever had experience with Orthodox Jews and their writings, you will see that when they are writing about God, they write G underscore D. They won't write the word God. They won't say the word God for fear of breaking this commandment and offending God. Obviously, I'm not going to not say the word God or not say the word Jesus here in your presence. But I want you to understand how strictly the Jews take this commandment. And I think it sets in opposition to how lightly often we as believers take this commandment. How we speak lightly of God as if he's our buddy, our pal, rather than the sovereign creator of all things and the redeemer of his people. And so when we have this kind of idle talk, it's not just about the words that come out of our mouth. It really is a sign of what's in our heart that we treat God lightly. Our Lord Jesus said in Matthew 12, The good person out of his good treasure brings forth good. The evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. What a terrifying verse. To know that everything I have ever said, I will be called to account for. If you're like me, you had occasions where you had to apologize to someone and say, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have said that. That was wrong of me to speak that way or to use that tone or to use those words. And we think that we are fine because we've apologized for it. And we've spotted the worst of our offenses. But what God tells us here in this commandment is that all of our idle talk is known to him. Every single word that comes out of our hearts. It's not just idle talk that we are to refrain from. It's also vain talk. And this is where we often go with this commandment. We know that this commandment forbids the kind of vile language that has become so commonplace in our world today. When I think about something like this, it makes me speak like my father or grandfather. Because I say, I didn't realize I was so old that the entire world has changed before me. I can remember when no one would use a curse word in public. When on television it was unheard of. There were actually laws and rules forbidding certain language and certain words, at least during certain times of the day. And now it's everywhere. This foul language and four-letter words is used by young and old alike. It's become a regular part of our vocabulary. And it is sad to say that even in recent years, ministers use this language from the pulpit. Somehow thinking that that makes them connect with people. Or to seem hip. But really, it's just a violation of the third commandment. It's speaking in a vile way. It's offensive to God. But vain talk is not just curse words, it's also actually cursing. James tells us in James chapter 3 that we are not with our tongue to think that we can praise God and curse men. He says, are you speaking with the same mouth? How can you do this? Because it is a very small leap from cursing men to cursing God. Because men are made in the image of God. And so James tells us that we are to refrain our tongue, that we are not to curse our fellow men and women. But there's another way that we can talk vainly. And that's by countenancing sin through the use of Scripture. This is perhaps, I think, most the difficulty and challenge in our Reformed circles. In the name of Christian liberty, we use Scripture to violate the principles of Scripture. So young people will dishonor their parents and say, Mom and Dad, you can't tell me not to drink. The Bible says that wine is good for you. So I don't have to listen to you. Of course, violating the principle of a commandment we'll get to in a few weeks, that of honoring your father and mother, and of violating an understanding of drinking wine and being drunk. But we do this all the time this is the devil's tactic to use the word of god against the word of god outside of its proper meaning and so in the way of christian liberty we insist upon our rights because certain things are good or have been pronounced by the lord as good and then we use them in a way that harms others in violation of god's word a third way that this commandment prohibits our speech is insincere talk. That is, we are not to swear falsely, whether in God's name or not. Have you ever caught yourself speaking to someone and using the phrase, I swear to God? Do you really? Really? Are you willing for God to come down and visit you with flame if what you're saying is not true? Or are you just using that as a way to convince someone of your argument or the truth of what you're saying? You see, we should not speak insincerely because our relationship with God is more important than these minced oaths or half oaths. If you don't know what a minced oath is, you should learn about it. Because sometimes we think that we're not violating this commandment because we don't use the word God, but we use the word gosh or golly or some other means of replacing God's name in our language, in our curses, in in our expressions. But what that really just shows is that we're able to tame the end result off our tongue, but not In our heart. God cares about our relationship, not just with him, but with others as well. And so when we swear falsely, even not with God's name, when we say something like, I will pray for you, and then we don't. Or you can count on me, and then they can't then we're violating this commandment. Deuteronomy 23 puts it this way. If you make a vow to the Lord your God, you shall not delay fulfilling it, for the Lord your God will surely require it of you. You shall be careful to do what has passed your lips, for you have voluntarily vowed to the Lord your God what you have promised to do with your mouth. And yet, there are times in which we project a vision of who we are and say things that don't comport with reality. The second thing that we see about this commandment is that it is not just a commandment for the mouth. It's also a command for life. And we can dishonor the Lord and dishonor this commandment by the life that we live. And the first And most obvious way that we can do this is by treating the Word of God as being irrelevant. Now, we can be unlike the world in that we don't mock the Bible. We don't say that the Bible is false. We don't say that it's a fairy tale. We can even have a a prominent place on our shelf in our home for our Bible. But if we close the book, then we're really... Treating the Word of God as irrelevant. When we say that the Bible doesn't really have anything to say about our marriages, or our parenting, or our jobs, or our duty as citizens, or our duty with our neighbor, then we are dishonoring the Lord and His Word, violating this commandment. When you have a problem, is the first question you ask yourself, What does the Bible say about this? I think far too often we reach for a self-help book or a podcast or a friend before we go to God and His Word. Now, God hasn't given us every answer in every specific detail for every possible situation. But God's Word speaks to all of our life. And so that's where we begin. We begin with God's Word. So we must not break this commandment by dishonoring our life. Treating the word of God as irrelevant. Another way that we can dishonor this command is with false piety. There is an old saying that pretended holiness is double wickedness. Think about that for a moment. That means if we are doing something so that others will think that we are someone we are not. It is a double wickedness. Far too often, I think, we believe that it is sufficient that others see us as being godly than rather that we actually be godly. We're more concerned about others' perception of us. This is what James calls the double-minded man. He's unstable in all his ways. He's only concerned with the visible and his reputation. And he doesn't take to heart the word of God. Paul puts it this way in Titus chapter 1. They profess to know God, but in works they deny him. Being abominable, disobedient, and disqualified for every good work. I think the greatest example that we have of this is the story in acts of Ananias and Sapphira. This was in a time in which the church was pooling its resources to help the poor that were among them. And many in the church sold things they had and brought it to the apostles so that the money that was gained from that could be distributed to help the poor. And Ananias and Sapphira had a field and they sold it. They didn't have to sell it. Peter makes that clear in the text. While they owned it, it was theirs. There was no obligation that they had to sell that. But once they had sold it, they came to the apostles and they gave a portion of the proceeds. But the key here is they wanted everyone to think it was all. They wanted others to think they were godly. There was a false piety that they were projecting And, of course, the Holy Spirit knew that they were lying. And they were struck dead for violating this commandment amongst others. Now, I think this is in large part why the world is not affected by the church. Because the church does not reflect her Savior. When the world sees Christians... With false piety. They assume that our truth is false truth. That it's not worth listening to. That the gospel is false. That it is a fabrication. That it is worthless. That's why it's so important for our lives to adorn the gospel. Paul speaks about this in Romans chapter 2. He says, the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. Because... Our actions do not line up with our words. We blaspheme the word of God. Others see the gospel as fake. And God is the one who is mocked. That's the connection to the third commandment. By the lives that we lead, we mock God. Now... It may be that the actual mocking comes from another person, but be sure it is our lives that cause that mocking. We can also dishonor this commandment in prayer. This commandment, I think, is linked to what Jesus says in Matthew 6, that we are not to pray with vain repetitions. And I think the problem there is when we, as good Bible-believing Presbyterians hear that, we already have in our mind who's guilty of that. And it sure isn't us. We know that the people who are guilty of vain repetitions are the Roman Catholics. After all, they have a practice called praying the rosary, where they pray the exact same prayer over and over and over again. Ten times, fifty times, a hundred times. Let me tell you, growing up, as a young person in the Catholic Church, you hoped that the priest did not assign 50 Hail Marys and 100 Our Fathers to you. Because then you had to go off and pray this over and over and over again. The problem is, is that we think that this is the only avenue in which this vain repetition is seen. And in doing so, we fall into the same trap that the Jews of Paul's day fell into. Because the Jews were sure that Jesus' words about vain repetitions applied to the Gentiles, not to them. That they were innocent. That they knew how to pray properly. That they were never guilty of this. But the truth is, it's not just the formality of prayer, of using the same words over and over again. This involves the fervency of our prayers. And so when we pray in a rote fashion... In a way in which our minds are not engaged and our hearts are not set forth, then we are praying vainly, with vain repetitions. Isaiah told the people of his day that they prayed with flattering words that meant nothing because their heart was not in it. This is where this commandment, I think, hits us strongly. Have you ever prayed with distraction? Prayed drowsily, struggling to stay awake? Have you ever prayed, and as you're praying, worldly thoughts come into your mind? Even thoughts of sin. That's breaking this commandment. Now, if you think I'm being too harsh with you, let me remind you that the only one that can keep this commandment is Jesus Christ. You can't expect to keep this commandment. But we should understand when we are breaking, when we are sinning, so that we can strive by God's grace to grow more and more in grace and to put to death the sin in our life that would break this commandment. That is what we are called to. Not rather to narrow the scope of this commandment as the Pharisees did, so as to make sure that we never feel a prick of conscience. That we think we're fine and we always do the right thing. In our lives, we can also dishonor this commandment in the trust that we fail to have in the Lord. What do I mean by that? I think often we can treat God as being powerless. As if God cannot fix the situation. As if it all depends on us. We have to lift ourselves up by our own power. We don't go to the Lord. We don't go with a fervency that He and His Word and His ordinances are able to bless us, to care for us. This happens all the time that we speak about luck. Now, I mean more than being careful to say we're having a meal this evening. It's a pot providence. I mean the way in which we speak every day. And the way in which we view the world. Do we view the world through the lens of randomness? Through luck? This can even take on a philosophical bent. Because if you are here this evening and you think, That evolution is true and real. You are violating the third commandment. Because what you are saying is that chance has brought about the world. And you don't get a pass if you say God used chance to bring about the world. Divine evolution is a contradiction in terms. God is in control. There is no luck. The Bible tells us that God has numbered the hairs on our head. That he knows the number of our days. That he knows the thoughts and intentions of our hearts. If we believe that, how could we need to get lucky? It's saying that God's powerless. That there's an area of life in which God cannot make his sovereignty known. We must approach life. As if God is in charge of everything. Let me say that again. We must approach life as if God is in charge of everything. And I fear far too often we put God in charge of the big things. The important things. We're reformed Presbyterians. God is in charge of salvation. He is sovereign. He elects. He gives life. And yet we think our medical condition is a matter of whether a doctor luckily comes upon the correct diagnosis. No. God is in charge of every aspect of our life. And when we fail to honor God this way, we treat him as if he is blind and deaf. Whenever we sin, whenever we do something that we think that escapes the gaze of God, we dishonor him. When we act as if we have a pass for our actions, surely God didn't pay attention to this. He's got bigger things going on. He didn't see me taking this action or saying that word or treating this person that way. He's got far bigger fish to fry. No, God is not blind. He is not deaf. He is sovereign and in control. And this commandment reminds us that we are to treat him as such, to honor him as God. This is not just failing to say curse words. We are to bless the Lord for who he is, to honor him for who he is. And God's name is dishonored whenever we deny his attributes. Whenever we deny his sovereignty, we dishonor him. The third and final thing that we see this evening is the purpose of the command. And we see this in the second half of this text. For the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. This is where a punishment is threatened. And it is a serious, merciful warning that comes to us. God has intentionally made this one of the ten words. God takes this commandment seriously, and he wants us to know it. This is the way I think perhaps often parents deal with children. I remember when my children were very young, we had a habit of of putting them to bed. And after we put them to bed and the door was shut, we said prayers with them and tucked them in. and We shut the door and we left. It would be inevitable that one of the boys would turn on a light. And we knew that they had enough time to fall asleep that we didn't need to get on them right away. So we would give it a few minutes. And then one of us would go in and tell them to turn off the light. And they would do that. We would leave and stand outside the door. And behold, the light would come back on. And then we would go into the room and say, listen, it's time for bed. Turn off the light. And if the light comes back on again, there will be consequences. You will be grounded tomorrow. There will be no dessert tomorrow. There there will be a punishment that's threatened to let you know that I'm serious about this. This is important. And that was the end of the light coming on. That's what God is doing for us here. You see, I think... This commandment is one of the commandments that we would take lightly. It's not like thou shalt not murder. It's not like you shall have no other gods before me. How bad could it be to take the name of the Lord your God in vain? I mean, sure, it's a sin, but how bad could it be? And God says, it's very bad. Let me tell you how bad it is. The Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Now, why is this? Because I think one of the purposes of this command is to show us our relationship to God. That we have a covenantal relationship with God. The commandment reads, you shall not take the name of the Lord God in vain. Now, did you notice what I didn't read? The Lord, your God, in vain. God reminds us that he is our God. And that when we take his name in vain, we fail to realize who he is. And we deny the relationship that we have with him. This is true in all our human relationships, isn't it? The way that we have strong relationships is that we get to know that other person. And the more we know them, the stronger the bond. You know that, some of you who have been married much longer than I have. The more years that you are married, the more you know your spouse, the more you get to know who they are and your relationship is strengthened. That's what God is telling us here. The failure then leads to fickleness. We don't want to be in the spot of the Israelites on Palm Sunday who praised Jesus as the King of Kings coming in and then days later yelled, Crucify Him. There is a fickleness when we fail to understand this commandment. Lastly, the great purpose of this commandment is found in God's glory. This third commandment is linked to the first in that the first tells us that there is no mention of any other gods to be made that is to take the lord god's name in vain to insist that there is any one or anything His equal worthy of worship god has revealed himself to us as he is he doesn't want us to deny that He wants us to acknowledge the truth of who he is and to honor and worship him. So in conclusion, think broadly about this command, even as you do all of them. Anytime you think you can keep this commandment, what you are saying is, I don't need Jesus. And I'm here to tell you that you do that you cannot keep this commandment in thought, word, and deed in every instance of your life. And that reminds us that we are to guard much more than our tongues. We are to guard our lives. Have your life be one that brings glory and honor to Jesus. That when others see you, they see the truth of who Jesus is. And not a false piety. And finally, praise the Lord Jesus Christ. Because He is the one who fulfilled this command with His own death. He honored the Lord, His God. He never disobeyed the Father. He kept this command each and every moment of His life. What a Savior we have. Let's give Him all the praise and glory. Amen. Let's pray.